0: Good morning, Summit Point Church. Happy post-Thanksgiving. You guys are all out of your food comas. Look all bright and happy this morning. So good to see you guys. Good to see you. Glad you guys are doing okay. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. I mean, the two main Thanksgiving meats that people eat will be like turkey and ham. So I'm curious, between the two, how many turkey people do we have in here? Okay. How many ham people? I'd say that was kind of like barely ham. Like ham one, just barely, just barely. You know, I kind of like, it depends on the mood. The turkey has to be just right, you know. They have to have just the right amount of stuffing. But ham is good. Ham is good stuff. All right, so uh, I, I hope you guys had a, a happy Thanksgiving. hanging out with your friends, family, or whoever you guys were spending time with this Thanksgiving. Um... I think there's so many things we have to be thankful for. I'm not preaching on thankfulness this morning, but I'm just so thankful that we get to gather together and just learn about who God is. You know, I'm thankful that God has revealed himself to us. God didn't have to do that. God could have kept his identity a secret, but the Bible says that God reveals himself to us. We get to know him personally in a relationship, and we get to have fellowship as believers and just get to know him more and more, live out our faith in Him altogether. So that's what I'm thankful for. This morning, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, if you're following along in your Bible this morning. Uh, well, the verse is on the screen for you as well. And this morning, the passage is in the Sermon on the Mount. And just previous to the passage that we're looking at this morning, you have the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are those famous, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are are the peacemakers, all these different blessings. For they shall be blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so the Beatitudes, I've heard it this way. The Beatitudes are attitudes we're supposed to be. And I think that's, that's kind of true. So the, uh, the Beatitudes kind of show what does it look like to be a Christian. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is following along that same wavelength and asking what does it look like to be a Christian in our world. It's not necessarily asking, what does it look like to be a Christian at church? What does it look like to be a Christian in your home? That's not exactly what we're talking about this morning. But it's really asking, how does the church, us, you, compare to the, church, to the world around her? How does the church compare to the world around her? What's the church supposed to be to the world around her? That question there that's first off in your notes is, what is the relationship between followers of Jesus and the world? I think it's helpful sometimes to step out of our Christian point of view and just kind of step into what does someone that's not a Christian, what, what would their point of view be of us? What would their point of view be of the church of Jesus? I wonder if people can tell we are Christians? I wonder if people can tell we are Christians because of how we love others and who we love? I wonder if people can tell that we are Christians because of what we talk about or maybe even what we don't talk about? I wonder if people can tell we are Christians based on what we post, based on how we raise our kids, the values we instil compared with the values of the world. I wonder if people can tell we are Christians Not just based on the stuff that we don't do, but based on the things that we do, the things that we are for. A lot of people know what Christians are against, but they have no idea what Christians are for. If we we as Christians are just different from other people and other religions and just our culture today, if we're just different because we have different morals, then that just kind of makes us weird, right? We're just weird. But if we're different for a greater reason than just morals or following rules, we're still weird, but at least there's a point to the weirdness, right? At least there's a purpose to being different from other people. Maybe as a Christian, you've wondered, how do I make the difference that I want to make? Maybe your friends are headed in a direction that's far from God. Maybe your family is, maybe you are. When we think of the world sometimes as the church, there can be an us versus them mentality. I don't think it should really be that way. Because, now, now just, just to set back real quick, this, sometimes the Bible speaks of worldliness and when the Bible talks about worldliness, what it's really talking about is cultural values that stray away from God's design. Okay, So God does not hate the world. The Bible says God loves the world, right? That's John 3:16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves the world. We should probably be like God, right? So we love the world too, but we don't love the worldliness. We don't love the cultural values that stray away from God's design. So there shouldn't be an us versus them mentality. We are different from the world, we have those different values. But we need to love the world. We need to reach the world. So on that same note, we're going to start out here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says to his followers, and I think Jesus says this to us this morning as well as his followers. Jesus says this to you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The first point this morning is that I'm made to make a difference. I'm made to make a difference. I've probably mentioned this up here before, but I just love In-N-Out so much. It's just so good. Can I get an amen? I think I got one already. We're good. All right. I love In-N-Out so much. Um, sometimes they actually have those the little Bible verses under the cup too, so it's blessed It has been blessed, pre-blessed food, right? And uh, I mean, I go there all the time. I love it so much. And my wife one time was telling me, I think I know the reason why you like In-N-Out so much. I think you just really like salt because there's so much salt and sodium in fast food. And that's what makes us love to eat it so much. I love salt. Does anybody else love salt? Okay, good, good. Salt is great. Salt makes everything better. It makes everything taste better. Um, It's just, salt is salt. salt. There's nothing like it. It's incredible. (laughs) Salt is an illustration for the church that Jesus is giving here. He's saying, to the world, you are salt. The church is to be like salt. Here's some different ways that the church is like salt. The first way is that we add flavor to our world. Salt flavors food. Salt makes food exciting. Did you know that life with Christ is exciting? Do you know that God wants to spice up your life? God wants to make your life better. God wants to be, bring flavor into the bland parts of life. God wants to spice up your work life. God wants to spice up, Your home life, God wants to spice up your marriage, amen? Okay, maybe not go there this morning, but God wants to spice up your life. Flavor makes food feel like it's worth eating. It does. In the same way that salt flavors food and makes it feel like it's worth eating, Christians who love God and love others make this world feel like it's worth living in. You are the salt of the earth god adds flavor to our lives he makes the boring mundane parts of life something worth living for you know sometimes we can go through our days without god i have an uncle that's uh, a pastor up in seattle area and he's bivocational so he'll, he'll work a day job as well and so we're talking about just different uh ways to live out our devotional life and he says that he likes to pray before he goes into work in his truck but he's like you know there's been some times where I'll pray in my truck, and then I get out, and I go to work, and I kind of left God back in the car. I think sometimes we leave God in the car. And when we leave God in the car, when we kind of leave God just to our devotional life, and not in our work life, not in our home life, or just whatever errands you typically do, just in your everyday life, the stuff that's kind of mundane, maybe feels like you're going through the motions, when you leave God out of that stuff, you're leaving the flavor out of those parts of your life. You're leaving the salt out of those parts of your life. But when you walk through everyday life with God by your side, praying without ceasing, seeing the, w- the people the way Jesus sees them, you go from walking through the motions to walking with meaning. And the mundane parts of your life actually become a movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. I love to salt up my french fries like... My wife likes to f- share my fries and I realize that it's just better just to buy her her own and then I'll have like, she doesn't eat, want to eat them all so I just have like half of hers and so I got like a fry and a half every time. It's great. It's amazing. One of the reasons I love her. So, but I love to salt up my french fries and if you're pouring salt on your french fries, which ones get the most salt? The ones on the top. The fries that are closest to you. If you're living a salty life, If you are in the Spirit of God, walking throughout your day with God, being the salt of the earth, the people closest to you, some of that's going to rub off on them. It's going to rub off. People can't hang out with you for very long without some of that salt rubbing off on them. Here's the second thing that salt does. Salt preserves, okay? We, as the salt of the earth, preserve our culture, So salt preserves food from decaying. I heard this story, I mean, don't fact check this, it might not be true. But I heard this story, (laughs) I heard this story about a McDonald's cheeseburger that somebody put in a fridge for like five, or freezer, for like five years or something. They pop it out, they microwave the thing, and it's like good as new. Because there's lots of salt in a McDonald's cheeseburger. Salt preserves, it's a preservative. It preserves food from decaying. In the same way, we as Christians preserve our culture, try to to our best ability to keep our culture on the path of righteousness. Now we know there's a day and a time when the Antichrist is coming. And there's, there's times, and I don't know exactly how, how God's working in all that, but God allows uh, for people to make their choices and he allows the culture to go the direction that it's going. But we as the church have our power, our ability to preserve our culture, to preserve our Christian values in our culture and implement those to the best of our ability. So we can preserve our culture and Christian values through voting, through charity, generosity. But most of all, above all other things, we preserve our culture by raising up the next generation to believe in the truth of Scripture and hold Christian values. That is how we preserve our culture. The third thing SALT does is it makes you... This is what we do. We create a desire for what we have. We create a desire for what we have. Do people want what you have? Think about it. Step outside of yourself. Maybe put yourself in the eyes of a family member or a friend that doesn't know Christ. If they were to look at your life, what is different about you? What value do you have? Not values, but like, how does your faith add value to your life? How does it make your life better in a way that their life is not as good as yours? That it could be if they did know Christ. Is there anything that they can see in your life that would make them want to have your faith? Faith, I mean, it it kind of is like heat in a way. Like salt, it creates this thirst, and and it's this contagious thing. It's kind of like if you put a fire in a room, everyone wants to go and cozy up around that fire because it's cold. I'm not even kidding you guys. When I was writing this, I was doing some little touch-ups this morning and I grabbed this space heater that Sharon has under her desk because it was just cold here. It was like 630. And uh, I was heating up my office. I'm not even kidding you. On this spot, there's spider started coming down like from the ceiling. And I was like, this is weird because I, for, for one, I've never seen a spider in my office before. And then it comes down and it, and it stops like just above my desk. And I, t- I took a picture for you guys because I was like, this is funny. But you know what the spider was doing? I noticed the spider was kind of blowing in the wind a little bit. The spider wanted to be warm. The spider came from the ceiling and came down to where the space heater was like blowing the heat. And it was just chilling there because it wanted to be warm. It was attracted to the warmth. And then it bit me and I got superpowers. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But, it's contagious, right? It's like heat. It makes you want more. I lost my spot. Okay. Uh, So, those are the three things that, three ways the church is like salt, alright? The first one was that, somebody help me out here. Add flavor to our world, preserve our culture, create a desire for what we have, okay? But, Jesus says something interesting here. After he says, you're the salt of the earth, he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I'm sure you guys have noticed by now. I got some salt here. Um <laughs> probably should have picked it up sooner. Whatever. Um, The only way for salt to lose its saltiness from a chemical perspective, you know, you got the sodium chloride, you have to dilute it. You dilute it. You you pour it in some water or something like that, and that makes it lose its saltiness. The chemical bond is very tight, and so you have to water it down. A teaspoon of salt in a cup of water, that's going to be some really salty water. But if you put a teaspoon of salt in something like a 10 gallons of water you're not really going to notice the salt in that water you have to water it down for you to not be able to taste it for it to not actually make a difference watered down salt cannot add flavor it can't preserve and there's nothing desirable about it and so is the same with a watered down faith a watered down faith isn't desirable Why would someone want to be a Christian if they just see a watered-down faith of a person that's not radical about Jesus? Maybe someone, um, I mean, they go to church, but that's that's all their faith. They're like, well, I could just be watching football Sunday mornings, and other than that, have the exact same life as you. What's valuable about your faith? That's why we can't have a watered-down faith. We have to show people that this is better. The desirable thing about Christianity is not about what you sacrifice. A lot of people look at Christianity and think, wow, they're giving up this. They're giving up Sunday morning to to go to church instead of watch football. They're giving up uh, this or that. They're giving up going to this party or or drinking this or, or whatever it is, their perception of Christians. That's not desirable, right? It's not desirable that you have to sacrifice things. The desirable thing about Christianity is Christ. It's Christ. It's not that you have to sacrifice things, but it's that he is worth sacrificing everything for. That's what's desirable about Christianity. And that's the salt that we should be holding up. So how salty are you? You are the salt of the earth. It doesn't take a whole lot of salt to add a whole lot of flavor. And I don't think God is asking each of us as an individual to salt the entire world because we just can't do that. If we are all just a little cup of salt, each one of us, and we can't salt the 10 gallons of the whole world, that won't make a difference by ourselves. But all of us together, that can make a difference. God isn't asking you as an individual to bring your salt to the entire world. You just have to bring it to your world. Just your world. That's your oikos. It's 8 to 15 people that are close to you in your life, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a co-worker. I don't know who it is. It's somebody. But that's your world. That's your world that you take your little cup of salt to. I want you to imagine this is your salt. About 20 to 30% of San Diego population identifies as Christian. Now I want to bring that down. I'm just going to round down here. Let's say it's 20%. Give or take... In San Diego County, that's about 640,000 Christians. If every Christian of those 640,000 reached their eight people, that would mean they would reach over 5.1 million people out of a population of 3.2 million people. Sometimes we look at our world and we're like, there's so much lostness out there, and that's true. There's so many lost people. But, like, if the whole church is on fire for Christ, there's not enough lost people. There's not enough. There's not enough if we just reach our world. Just reach our world. And it's not going to be like this, okay, one day we're going to all go out and evangelize all of San Diego. No, it's over the course of your lifetime you invest in your 8 to 15 people. And you tell them about Jesus. You show them who Jesus is by living your life. But I also kind of, I want to emphasize here, there there should be a, a point of urgency as well. Tim Tebow Foundation, Tim Tebow's a great guy. I mean, I don't know the guy, but he just seems like a great guy. Solid Christian dude. But he's got this foundation that helps out sex trafficking victims and people with special needs as well. And his foundation, they have a sense of urgency about what they do. And the way that I heard him describe it, is that they don't live on their timeline. He said, someone who's a victim of something as horrible and inhumane as sex trafficking, they're being abused, give or take, around five times per day. And it's a horrible, heinous act. And they are urgent in what they're doing. They're urgent in helping these victims because he's like, we're not living on our timeline. We're going to live on their timeline. Because on their timeline, they need help now. On their timeline, they need hope now. And I think sometimes, as Christians, when it comes to engaging our oikos, I think sometimes, if we're honest, we live on our timeline. Now, that's not to say that each and every day needs to be this Romans Road gospel conversation. That's, That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we need to keep in mind that we have the goodness of the gospel, and they don't. And they need it. So let's just try to look from their perspective, live on their timeline. We're going to talk a little bit later about that, what, uh, what that might look like. But I think the solution here, one practical solution, is just we need to be continually reminded of how good God is and experiencing in our own life how good God is. And that's going to inspire us to tell someone how amazing it is to have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, Jesus commands us to evangelize. But our evangelism shouldn't come out of, like, obligation. It should come from a place of, I love God. Come and see. Come and see this Jesus that I have met. You have the Holy Spirit, God inside of you, to give you the words to say and actions to take with that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Let's move on. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The next point this morning is, I was made to shine to the darkness where I came from. I was made to shine to the darkness where I came from. And there's a reason why I put the where I came from as the underlying thing here. Cause we forget that can we just be honest and say sometimes we forget where we came from we forget the dark place where our hearts were before christ stepped into our life and i think sometimes we need to be reminded of what we have been saved from because if we're reminded of that dark place that we came from that's going to inspire us to be a light to those people that are still in that dark place christians are not better people than other people We came from the same darkness. We came from the same sins. We just have a better Savior. And we just need to tell the people about this better Savior. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We know this from the Gospel of John. But here Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Where does the light come from? Just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, the same way when we point our face to Christ like mirrors, we reflect the light of the Son of God. His light shines through us. The thing that's so amazing about the gospel is the gospel is not a story of the darkness striving after the light. The gospel is a story of the light coming to the darkness. I heard this um, agnostic scholar once said that he did not believe that we could understand God because the finite could not penetrate the infinite. He gave a a metaphor of a bird trying to fly into outer space— The finite bird cannot fly into the infinite outer space. And there's some truth to that, where we, dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions, these tiny little finite creatures cannot understand God, could not understand God. So God made a way for us to understand him. We couldn't make it. The story of the gospel is not the finite striving to be the infinite, but the infinite has come to the finite. The divine has come to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has made himself known to us. God meets us where we are. The light has come to us. And the light now shines through us. The brightest spot on earth is the Las Vegas Strip. And it's rumored that you can see it from outer space. Now, I don't know how true that is or how you define outer space. I mean, as you go further and further up into the sky, I'm sure it gets less and less visible. But Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others. It's a public relationship with Christ. Pastor Elijah said one time, you don't have a private relationship with God. It is a public relationship with God. If you have the light of Christ in you, others should be able to see that. True faith in Christ is not just personal, it's actually missional. The gospel I just mentioned earlier, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. God loved the world. Now does that mean God loved you? Absolutely that means God loved you. That means God loved me. And that's great news. But it also means God loved the world. You can't separate uh, my, your personal relationship with God and God's love for you from God's love for your oikos. Because God loves your oikos with the same love that God loves you. So as you're growing in that personal relationship with God, you should also be growing in love for your oikos. Because that's how God loves them. That's how God loves you. You know, we have great Mexican food here in San Diego. And I once talked to a guy who said he literally lives in San Diego just for the Mexican food. Now, that's a high price to pay to just want to eat Mexican food. Right? But... It's great. It's great down here. I mean, you could say we have some of the best Mexican food in the world here in San Diego. And one of my favorite things with Mexican food is autobata, autobata meat, okay? It's this hot, juicy, tender, just really good stuff. I don't even, I don't even know that much about it. I just know it's good and that's what I order. And I talk to people about Mexican food sometimes because I like food. And whenever we have the conversation about Autobotta, I tell them, have you tried Frida's? Because there's this place in Escondido called Frida's, and this is not, I'm not advertising, I'm just saying. This is my life, deal with it. There's this place in Escondido called Frida's that has the best Autobotta. and I love it. It's so good. I always tell people, you have to try it. Now, if you lived in San Diego, you've probably tried Mexican food, but you may not have tried Frida's. Our obedience to God flows out of our experience with God. If you have experienced the love of God for yourself, the love of God for the world in your life, then naturally it will make you see others differently, and your heart's desire would be that they experience it too. I would be amazed if anyone has lived here longer than like a month and not tried the Mexican food, and not tried some out of somewhere, right? But they may not have tried Frita's. In the same way, everyone has tried their version of Jesus. They tried the historical figure Jesus. They tried their moral teacher Jesus. They tried the Jesus that they're just indifferent to. Everyone has tried their version of Jesus. But we as Christians who have experienced the real Christ that is revealed to us through the word of God can say, Have you tried my Jesus? Have you experienced the goodness of my God? The God who has revealed himself to us. The God that came down to be our Savior and our Lord. Let me show you the real Jesus of Scripture. And you don't have to drive all the way up to Escondido to experience that. You can experience it right here. We are the light shining into the darkness that we came from, and we can't hide that light. This is what's interesting to me. Jesus said, this is what's going to hinder your light. Okay? Okay. This is the hindrance to you being the light of the world. It's not the darkness in the world. Darkness doesn't hinder light. Darkness actually can make the light more obvious. If we turn off all the lights in here and I got my little phone flashlight off out. Well, I guess I wasn't this was not planned. Let's try it. Let's do it. Here's my phone flashlight. Hit the, hit it. You can see this a lot like more clearly than when the lights were up. Thanks, guys. That that was not planned actually cool. (laughs) Now, the darkness makes that light more noticeable, actually, okay? The hindrance that Jesus says to our light really being able to shine so people can notice it is us. It's us covering up our light. The darkness cannot cover up our light. We cover up our own light, is what Jesus is saying. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Covering up a lamp turns it from being a public light to a private light. Public to private. Covering up a lamp is pointless. He said it's, it's defeating the purpose of the lamp. The lamp is supposed to shine out for everyone to be able to see. And sometimes, in our faith, we say, I just want to work on my faith a little more. I want to work on my lamp and making that light shine brighter before I really reveal that light to my oikos. But Jesus says, you put a basket over a lamp, it's defeated its purpose. And back then, they had these oil lamps, and it's pretty hard to pour more oil into a lamp when you're covering it with a basket. The lamps were made to burn, and Jesus is saying, you were made to shine. You were made to To shine. If you want a stronger relationship with God, you can't do it with the basket over the light. Sometimes I think we hide our lamp, we're not obedient to God because we believe the lie that there's too much darkness in us to be used by God. That's not true because Jesus came to overcome all that darkness. John chapter 1, verse 4. Talking about Jesus says in him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ inside of you. You have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no darkness in your past, present, or future that has power over you. He declared it is finished. The light has come. How great is our God that he would make us the light of the world? God didn't have to do that. God could have just, I don't know, I'm kind of just thinking about this literally. He could have just put a really big light bulb somewhere and said, this is the light, go there and like learn about my gospel. He could have written the gospel in the sky, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to make us his light. Us in the middle of all our brokenness. In the middle of all our insecurities, in the middle of all our mistakes, God says, I'm going to make you a light. I'm going to make you something you never thought you could be. And I'm going to shine my glory and my light through you. How great is our God that he does that? Verse 16, the light says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's a few things that the light does for us. The first thing is the light that Jesus gives us changes us. God loves you exactly the way that you are. But he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He's going to make you better. He's going to make you like Christ. He's going to, if God God loves you the way that you are in darkness, but God loves you too much to leave you in darkness. He's going to put his light in you. He's going to change your life so that light can shine for others. The second thing that this light does, it produces the fruit of good deeds. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Produces the fruit of good deeds, good works. A lot of people come to church because they say, I want to be a better person. And... There's some truth to that. I'll talk about it a little bit. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. But they say, I want to be a better person. Sometimes we seek the fruit before the root. Let me explain what I mean by that. The root of your faith is founded in the work of Christ And how he he makes you able to be in a relationship with God. That's the root of our faith. It's the gospel. Is that Jesus died, was buried, was raised from the grave on the third day. That whoever confesses that he is Lord and believes in the heart that God is raised from the dead will be saved. That is the root of our faith. We have a relationship with God as, as a result of that. Because of our relationship with God, the root, we inevitably bear fruit. We bear the fruit of good deeds in our life. We bear the fruit of being salt and light to our oikos. But sometimes, we get it backwards. Sometimes, we focus more on the fruit than we do on the root. But that's not how plants work. If you want a plant to have more fruit, you don't go up to the plant, let's say it's an apple tree. You don't go up to the apple tree with your little spray water spray thing and start like spraying the apples with water that's kind of dumb right you water the tree at its root and that's what makes the fruit grow and in your relationship with god if you want to be a better person if you want to have fruit you got to kind of take your eyes away from the fruit and being a better person and focus on the root focus on growing your relationship with god and inevitably you will become more like jesus and you will bear more fruit in your life. The third thing that the light does is it leads people to value the faith that we have and experience God for themselves. Just like we said earlier, why would someone want your faith? What is about your life that they can noticeably see that's more desirable than theirs because you have Christ? The fruit of our good deeds is not for our glory, But for God's glory. And the people that are praising God because of our good deeds, the people that are giving glory to God, it says others. Now, others could include Christians, others could include non Christians. When people see the fruit of our life being the light of the world, it makes them want to say, I want to worship that God. I don't know that God, I don't know anything about it, but I know that person, and they know that God. And I want what they have. That's what your good deeds do when others see them and know that it comes from you being a Christian. So here's the deal you're the salt of the earth. Add flavor to your world. Keep your world from straying from God's design. Preserve it to the best of your ability. Have a contagious faith that makes people thirst for the gospel. You are the light of the world. You are made to shine. You are not in darkness anymore. The lies of the enemy that want to keep you in that darkness has no power over you. You belong to Christ now. Period. End of story. Don't cover up your light. Because somebody close to you is in the dark. And they need to see that light. They need to know that there's hope for them. And that hope can be found in Jesus. So how do I tell someone about Jesus? We're going to close with this real quick. How do I tell someone about Jesus? You know, we make this way too complicated sometimes. We really do. We think I got to memorize these exact 10 Bible verses, or I got to go through this method. And there's different methods that work for different people, and that's good, and that's fine for you. But here's what you can do. You can go up to your friend or family member and say, can I tell you a story about how my life changed forever? And you tell them how you met Jesus, and that's it. And over time, as it could take years, every once in a while, you, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church, I learned this. You just have little God conversations with that Oikos member over time. I heard once that 1,000 uh, one minute conversations could have a lot more value than one 1,000 minute conversation. And I think that's true with our Oikos. And so you're having those 1,000 one minute conversations. And they're starting to see, because they're watching you. They're watching you. And they're going to see, what does it look like to be salt and light? What do they have that I don't? And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. That's how it is. Welcome, welcome to life. Sometimes we do things that are uncomfortable, and that's okay. Because <laughs> God's going to call you out in faith to just trust in Him. And just bring up God in a conversation. Hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about religion? What do you think about heaven? What do you think about hell? I don't know how it's going to happen for you. It could be organics. Maybe you may need to insert that conversation into the situation. I don't know. But as you're praying for them, the Holy Spirit of God is going to open their ears. It's going to open their hearts. God's going to open their hearts. And they can receive the message of the gospel and they can become salt and light too. Are you salt and light? Have you experienced how good god is in your own life god demonstrates his goodness to us through the cross he came was a perfect man lived a perfect life god died on the cross for our sins he rose from the grave and now when we repent and we trust in him we are saved forevermore and we can be salt and light to our world let's pray